But what Jeremiah shows us here is, is that you can have a wonderful move of God in your life and still be in a terrible earthly situation. I think personally probably tonight when you go home and hopefully think about those events in your life that you will realize that God probably moved the most in the difficult moments, in the moments where earthly things didn't seem to be the way that they should be. And so I just want you to think about that tonight and especially in your personal life about what has been your prison, right? Most of us hopefully haven't been in prison. In my younger days, I was arrested twice for uh, illegal consumption of alcohol by a minor. They threw both those tickets out. It's not what you know, to you know. But, uh, but if you were to pull me up on Judici Watch or wherever you go to creep on people who you question, uh, you would probably see me on there for two of those times. But I've never been convicted. So, but, uh, and so, but uh, I don't know why I shared that with you, but it is what it is. So, but most of us have not been in prison, right? We've not had our freedoms and our liberties taken away from us. But we have probably been in emotional prisons, spiritual prisons, um, situations that we thought everything was closing in around us. And so I want you to think about that tonight because I really want to encourage you tonight with this simple truth that God's promises don't depend on your circumstances. Or if we wanted to rhyme or to have the cool uh, letters that um, uh, go together, that God's promises don't depend on your problems, right? Your problems do not affect God's promises. They are true no matter what. And so any thoughts there on verse 1, like I said? Look what it says here in verse 2 and moving forward. Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is His name. I want you to hear verse 3. Call to me and I will... Now, I, I know I can't hear, but there's only like 17 of you if that, so you have to speak up tonight. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I want to just show you this verse tonight because I believe it is special. God wants us to do what? Call to Him. God expects His people to pray. And I want to say this statistic, and I would say I'm being very, very generous, that I believe that 70% of people who attend church regularly do not pray. Regularly. Now, I, I bet they pray when they're getting pulled over, or they... <laughs> You know, or they pray when they're sitting with a pastor at a restaurant eating. Um, you know, I, I, it's always funny because we'll go places and we'll start, we'll be there and someone will be eating like just hardcore and then they'll be like, <clears throat> and I'm like, what? And they're like, so and so's eating. I'm like, I'm not the prayer police. <laughs> it's not my job to run around and get on to people who eat without praying. I mean, that's not my job, okay? Uh, and so it's just, that's the way it is. But, I really, the prayer police, that ought to be, anyway, that's never going to go away. But uh, uh, sometimes it was called the prayer sheriff, but anyway, it doesn't matter. But call to me, God expects his people to pray. And tonight, if you are in a difficult situation, or even if you're in a blessing time, God expects you to call to who? He says, me. It's that personal, right? Um, when I talk to my kids... 
and, and they're crying or something, I'm, I'm like, come here. Come to me. I don't say, come to your Father who provides for you and cares for you. No, it's, it's personal, right? They're my child. I care about them. And God says, call to me and I will answer you. I believe that God is in control of everything. I, I believe the Bible teaches that. But I believe that God responds to the prayers of His people. I don't believe that God is a genie that has to do whatever we ask of Him. But why would He say, call to me and I will answer you, if He doesn't mean that? Because He goes on and says, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And that seems kind of um, simple because most of us don't know everything. But what he's saying here, and if you look it up in the original language, it's this idea of that God will show you spiritual things that you cannot understand on your own. And as a Christian, that's true. God works in our life in ways that the earthly wisdom cannot help us. God can give us peace in times that the world says there is no peace. God gives us hope in times when there is no hope. And he says that he will show that. And he's specifically talking to Jeremiah because Jeremiah is in prison. The nation is being surrounded. And here in a minute we're going to look at how people were tearing their houses down so that they could use the lumber and the building materials to fortify the city. Okay, so just imagine going home tonight and begin tearing down the home that you live in because you know that someone is trying to come kill you and you need it to save yourself to fortify a big city. And so this idea for people, it would have been, for Jeremiah, it would have been the lowest of times because he was in prison personally. It would have been the most difficult of times for families because, I don't know if you know this or not, but most likely uh, in this day and age, Geico wasn't an issue. All right? State Farm was not the neighbor that you needed. Right? If your home burnt, it burnt. And if you didn't have family and, and people in your life to help you, it was gone. Okay? Now a house fire is a terrible thing, but almost everybody has a mortgage, so they have what? Insurance. That was not the case. These people were literally, we're going to see, destroying their entire lives, everything they had built, everything they had worked for, just so they could survive. And third, as a nation, they were watching everything they loved collapse. But yet God says right in the middle of that, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but when you ask a question and someone doesn't answer you, they're like, because I said so. I don't care if you're 7 or you're 37 or 77. It is so annoying, isn't it? It just drives me nuts. And what God says is, everything around you is falling apart. Every situation, but I'm going to show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And tonight I want you to hear that because it might not be you, right? You're here on Wednesday night. I know you guys have got it all figured out. You don't have any problems, any burdens, right? I know that, all right? You are the spiritual of the spiritual, okay? But I'm guessing that after you leave here at some point in the next few days, you are going to come into contact with broken and hurting people. And so this is for you to be able to help them, okay? You can just quote that. 
But listen to what it says in verse 4. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city, don't miss that, and the houses of the king of Judah, which have been pulled down to fortify against the siege mounds and the swords. They come to fight with the Chaldeans, but only to fill their places with the dead bodies of men whom I will slay in my anger and my fury, all for whose wickedness I have hidden my face from this city. Behold, now I want you to stop right there. Because in verse 3, great and mighty things. Right? That's what he just said. But in verse 4, he's talking about dead bodies. He's talking about tearing down the houses, tearing down the king's houses. And he says, I'm the one doing this to you. My anger and my fury, I am doing this to you because of your wickedness. And I hope that you know this, that God is long-suffering, He's gracious, He's merciful, He is willing to forgive sin, He is willing to, uh, to do great and mighty things when people repent. But I think that we have lost the idea that God will destroy sin. And God will not only punish sin, but He will punish the, the sinner. And I hope that you hear that tonight because... Here recently, and I won't get specifically because I would never want to, to throw anybody under the bus, but a kid that, that I ministered to years ago in different youth groups and things like that um, recently made a very public and, and, um, and um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, social media presence about some sin in this individual's life and how it was... You know, it was, it was a good thing, and it was not what they wanted, but, you know, everybody should be okay with it. And, and it just broke my heart because sin bothers me when it's people I don't care about, right? But sin bothers me even more when I watch the fact that it's going to destroy the people that I love or that I care about. Right? I don't want sin to destroy your marriage, but I really don't want sin to destroy mine because I love you but I don't near, love you near as much as I love my wife. And I don't want sin to destroy your kids, but I really don't want sin to destroy my children. And so I, I want you to hear this because when he's talking about this, it doesn't seem to really make sense. How can we have good, but yet he's talking about this? And this is the reason. Regardless of how bad it seems or how broken things seem to be, God still is faithful. Because look what it says here in verse 6. Behold, I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. You know, just stop there for a second. Peace and truth in the circumstances they're in is kind of like when a kid gets told by their parents, this spanking's going to hurt me more than it hurts you. No kid believes that, right? Not a child on this planet believes that. But God is just saying, I'm bringing death and destruction and judgment to you, but I'm also going to heal and bring health. It's kind of like, why don't we just skip the death and destruction part, right? But God knew that that had to happen because of their sin, because of their stubbornness and rebellion, but also to prove that God is faithful. 
See, look what it says here in verse 7. And I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return. We've heard this before in verse 30, chapter 32. And I will rebuild those places as at the first. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed me. Then it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do to them. They shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I have provided for them. So I want you to think about this for just a second with me, that this idea of forgiveness, right, this theme here, is something that is very special. We know that there is a physical promise. We know there is a national promise. But this idea of forgiveness is something for us as saved people that should really mean something to us because we've experienced what forgiveness is. As a New Testament Christian, we read here in verse 9, Then it shall be a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all the nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do to them. I think that is important because people ought to see how God is at work in my life. Right? It's kind of like I don't understand how Christians can walk around with no joy. I, don't, I didn't say you can't be less joyful sometimes because I wake up less joyful than I am right now. I'll be, you know, I come home and my kids are fighting and everything's a mess. I can be less joyful than I am right now. But if God has truly saved you and changed you and made a difference in your life, it ought to be evident to people around you about how good God has been to you. That's why I know for years I, I didn't like testimony times, okay? And, um, and it wasn't because I don't think we ought to not testify. It was I was always worried that people were going to hijack it and make it about them. And I don't know if you know this or not, but apparently it's not appropriately for me to throw a microphone at someone who won't sit down. But that's what goes through my mind in business meetings and in testimony times when someone is talking and shouldn't be, okay? That's not appropriate, all right? So, as you know, and what's on my face is what I'm thinking, right? I don't hide my emotions or feelings well. So, when I'm up here and the finance report's going on, I'm going... I'm thankful that God's blessed us with money, but I don't want to talk about money. I want to move on to something better like the membership report. But I want you to hear this tonight because as God is at work in your life as an individual and your life as a family, our life as a church, there ought to be evidence that people can see and give praise to God for what He's done. Look here though in verse the last part of verse 9. Fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I have provided. And there in verse uh, 9 there, uh, if you want to flip over to Isaiah 60 verse 5, if somebody wants to flip over there really quick and read that for me. <clears throat> yeah, so... This fear is not as in, in the sense of like you fear spiders or you fear snakes. Read that one more time, would you, for me, if you don't care? So these promises, especially 
we can take some of them for the Jewish people, right? And the specialness that God has with Israel. But also for the New Testament Christian that we know that, that God is turning all these blessings back to His people. It doesn't always seem that way, right? You can turn on the television and watch how the, the wicked seem to prosper, the wicked seem to get away with things, the, the wicked seem to be enjoying life more than anyone else, but we know that that is just for a season. But that real blessings and real treasures and, and real things that, that matter that God has in store for those that He loves. And so He's just... I think it's significant here because I want to just stop and say we started out with Jeremiah in prison, but yet God is still reminding him of the promises. The people are tearing down their lives and their livelihoods, and God is still reiterating the promises. And so just really think about that. And I know, like I said, you're the spiritual elite. When you go deal with the broken and the hurting tomorrow, that you can remind them that it doesn't matter how bad their marriage is. It doesn't matter how broken their family is. It doesn't matter how bad the diagnosis is. That God's promises are as true to you as when you're in the pit or as Joseph found out when he was in the palace. Thoughts? So I guess, I guess no one's ever been in a pit to understand that. But... Uh, um, um, I think that if you're honest, when you get home tonight and start thinking about that, that it's in the pit, really, or the prison that God's promises mean the most. Not that they, they waver in their truthfulness, but in those moments is where it really matters the most. Because look where it says here in verse 10. Thus says the Lord, Again, there shall be heard in this place of which you say, It is desolate without man and without beast, in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man and without inhabitant and without beast, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who will say, Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for His mercy endures forever." And of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause the captives of the land to return as the first, says the Lord. He's just reiterating these promises over and over again. And I think that it's because they have the same problem that we do. We are very slow learners. And God repeats Himself and repeats Himself and repeats Himself because we are not willing to listen very well. We're not willing usually to take correction and we're not willing, usually willing to believe that He's going to be faithful. If you were to describe most people, would you describe them as faithful or unfaithful? I would say unfaithful, right? You know, now this group, no, I understand, you know, you know, the halos come out on Wednesday nights, I know that, but but unfaithful. We can be unfaithful friends. We can be unfaithful church members. We can be unfaithful in marriage. We can be unfaithful in a lot of ways. And so for us, we view most things as, oh, when's the other shoe going to drop? Right? I, I was reading on the, the, the uh, Yahoo News today because Yahoo loves to take anything about Christians and magnify the worst. Right? If it is a scandal or something bad in the Christian faith, Yahoo takes it and celebrates it. And so, as far as I'm concerned, 
they're useless. But anyway, uh, it was about a, a famous baseball pitcher who him and his wife were having marital trouble, and they went to see their pastor to counsel them. Uh, he was on the board of his charity. The pastor swindled money from the charity and slept with the baseball player's wife. That's what Yahoo chose to run with today. And when I read that, I thought, that don't surprise me. That don't surprise me at all. And in that moment, I was thinking, Jake, that's a pretty negative view. That's a, it's an honest view, in my opinion, but I was just like, no, I'm not shocked at all. And as I was praying for tonight, uh, it broke my heart that that should be the exception, right? Now, I, I believe that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of pastors all over the country and all over the world that are faithfully shepherding their churches, that love the congregations, that aren't doing that, but what does Yahoo do? That's what they run with. And friends, the reason is this. We have to believe that God is not like man. God doesn't break His promises. God doesn't waver. There in verse 11 it says, For His mercy endures forever. And of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause the captives of the land to return as the first, says the Lord. Now, this is a significant promise, but it's even more significant because some of them have been carried into captivity, but not all of them yet. Right? They're still defending the city. They're still trying to board up the windows, and they're still trying to make a stand. But God says, I'm going to bring you back. And you see, the promises about heaven mean a lot for us as everyday Christians. But they mean a whole lot more when you're holding the hand of your loved one as they're leaving this world. You know, promises about forgiveness are really special most of the time, but they really matter when you make a mess of things. And so I just really want you to see that, that this chapter, even though it's full of the, the judgment and the destruction that is coming, that God just keeps reminding them that there's hope. There is hope for them, and I believe there's hope for us. Thoughts, comments. My kid wanted me to talk all the way to 8 o'clock tonight, and if you don't start participating, I guess I will. So, since you can't listen good tonight, but I'm just being serious. So, yeah. That's good enough to reuse. I'm writing that down. <laughs> well, I was going to say, if it's a good enough book, Dennis Johnson said, it'll be a movie. It'll be a movie. And if your high school social studies teacher told you that, you just got to believe it. Or junior high, or it's been a long time ago, so. <laughs> Corey Ten Boom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Other thoughts? I mean, I appreciate the fact that I don't ever get to speak at home since I have seven females that you let me talk uninterrupted for an hour. But I really am okay with you talking here. So, speaking of that, Kylie, where's our, your sister? Okay. I just realized we lost a kid, so someone was going to speak. I want you to look at verse 12. 
because the promises of God, which we've been looking at verses 1 through 11, are remarkably special. Please don't think that. But I want to show you the significance, what, what, how it changes in verse 12. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In this place which is desolate, without man and without beast, and in all its cities, there shall again be a dwelling place of shepherds causing their flocks to lie down. In the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the south, in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, the flock shall again pass under the hands of him who counts them, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, said the Lord, that I will perform the good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. And I what you see about presence here, because God is specific here. You know, He is giving a, a geography lesson, you might say. He is describing all of the areas of Israel here. And He is specifically saying that He is going to be at work and moving and blessing in each and every one of them. If you've read through the book of Judges or uh, even back into Numbers, uh, you probably realize that there are some areas of Israel that some pretty awful things happen, okay? Um, some wicked, wicked things. If you uh, went through our study with Judges, you saw uh, there were some awful things, right? That uh, uh, they hacked up his wife and sent the pieces to all of the Israel and what had happened to cause that. And, and God would wipe cities off the map and, and, and the specifics, right? And so you think about what are the two most famous probably Old Testament cities that come to your mind? Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah right? And so God is saying, though, that those specific places He's not mentioning, but He's just he's encompassing all of it, right? The lowlands, the mountains, the south, the land of Benjamin, Jerusalem, Judah. And I, I think this is because we have to remember that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, all the time. And it's, I think it's easy to feel like God has abandoned us. Right, and I think it's easy to feel like that God has more important things and more pressing issues uh, to be dealing with, and that me and mine are not that important. But when He's talking about His blessings and His promises, He's saying that it's all encompassing here. He's not leaving it out, and so I think it is important when we think about the Great Commission that we're to go to where all the nations, not just white nations not just minority nations, but to all the ends of the earth. Because why? God is at work in all the earth. And so I think about that, that promises are important, but God's presence is important, that He is with me always. And I think it's something that, I think it's something we struggle with as Baptists for this reason, okay? We have watched the television preacher treat God like I, I went to heaven and I walked right up to God and I told Him what I thought and He told me what I thought and we walked around and, and, and we're all like, whoa, right? I've read Isaiah. I, I read what it was like when He entered the presence of the Lord or when John and, and how that whole situation and, and you went up and played a game of pickup basketball. That doesn't really make much sense, right? And so I think sometimes then on the other extreme like that we've seen in the Pentecostal movement that's all about the presence of God, right? And, and, and when the presence of God comes, everything goes 
crazy, right? And so as Baptists, we don't talk about the presence of God at all, right? We've got the scriptures, we've got the promises, but yet we believe in the indwelling of the Spirit of God, that God lives in us and through us, and He's working and moving. And so this idea that, that the presence of God... Now, I'm not saying it just when you feel like you got goosebumps. I'm not talking about anything like that. But we have to be reminded that God is with us in all situations, in all places. And wherever I go, whether I'm called to the mission field of Africa or whether I've got to go door to door in Chicago, which I think I'd really go to Africa than Chicago, right? And, you know, or wherever, that God is there and He's at work and He's doing things. And we should remember that. Thoughts. Yeah, adopted in. Yeah, I think that's significant because sometimes, you know, we look at the land as, as it was what was significant. And it was, a, it was a blessing, but the land wasn't to be worshipped, right? God was to be worshipped. Like the temple was special and it was significant, but it was who that was supposed to be worshipped at the temple, right? It was Him. And so God literally told the children of Israel, you are to wipe these people out, you're to run them out, you're supposed to take homes that you didn't build and vineyards that you didn't plant and... And they didn't, right? And we see how throughout the entire Old Testament, the side effects of that. Like I said, I'm teaching through, um, um, what am I teaching through on, on the nightly devotion? Uh, uh, it's a book in Esther, right? I knew it was a book in the Bible. But, uh, uh, you know, and if you look through the lineage, some of the lineage that was persecuting the Jewish people in the story of Esther was some of the offspring of people that were supposed to be wiped out in the conquest of, of the promised land. And so we see the consequences of that going all the way down through the New Testament or to the New Testament even in the Moabites and, and all this intermingling was because the people of God didn't, like you said, take that promise that was entitled to them. Yeah. But then you think about that even too, right? When the children of Israel are leaving as slaves, all of the wealthy possessions they took were not theirs, right? They were the Egyptians. They get into the wilderness, and what do they do with all them wealthy possessions? They mold it down into an item of worship that's idolatry. God gives them something, and they what? Corrupt it. And we have to be very careful as believers not to corrupt the things that God has given us. How many times have blessings turned into idolatry? Now, I could list them like I could just start and say, I think this is idolatry and this is idolatry. But everyone that owns anything or goes anywhere or have any hobbies would be mad at me. So I'll just leave it alone tonight. But that's how it is. We live in the most prosperous nation in the world, even though some people are trying to ruin that. But yet our prosperity has been used for idolatry. Right? I just got so much stuff, I can't be at church all through July. I got other places to be and things to do and places to hang out because I'm just overly blessed. Right? We got so much money and my kids are so talented, I, I'll just go ahead and get it specific. It don't bother me. Whoever's watching can take it or leave it, right? We're going to be gone because we've got events and sports that have to be done, right? Your kids are healthy. They're athletic. That doesn't mean it's supposed to be used for idolatry. And so I just really want you to see that that pattern has always been the case. Satan wants us to misuse the blessings that God gives us. How about a church building? A church building is a blessing. It is a tool. We should be thankful for it. But how many times does it become the idol? Uh, when I was in Kentucky the other day for 
Ann Johnson's dad's funeral, there was a church that said, um, when you turned off the road, it said, the Church of Christ meets here. Or I think that's what it says. That's their, instead of like the first Christian church, that was what was on the side of that building was, uh, I can't remember the name of the church, meets here. And I thought, well, I'd like for that to be on the sign out front, right? Not 10 Mile Missionary Baptist Church, but 10 Mile Church meets here. And just see how that would go for a logos on our t-shirts, right? No, but it's true, right? That this is a place where we come and we can fellowship and we can study God's Word and we can use the gym and we can all of those things. But it, it eventually is just going to burn up, right? It's just going to fall apart. And so, but yet how many fights and splits have happened over buildings, right? We, I was so pleased we voted unanimously to take carpet out of one section of this building. I thought, hey, it can't happen. It's not going to happen. And we did, right? It was a miracle in itself. Not like part in the Red Sea or the Mississippi Squirrel Revival, but pretty close, right? So, but, so promises, presence, and let's continue on. Look what it says here in verse 14. Behold, the days are coming says the Lord, that I will perform the good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days, at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called, the Lord our righteousness." For thus says the Lord David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me, to kindle grain offerings, and to sacrifice continually. So we looked at the promises, we've looked at the presence, and if you were thinking what the title of this one section was going to be, it would be what? The person. It is speaking about a person here. And who would that person be? Jesus, right? Look what it says there. It's talking about a king sitting on the throne, and it's talking about a priest, right? There's only one king, priest, in the New Testament. It's not me. It's not you. It's Jesus, right? We have a, right, we have a high priest, the New Testament says, who we can approach the very throne of God, we know through the New Testament that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we have to remember that the promises of God are special, the presence of God is special, but the person of Jesus is who is special. Because we see here that even if you thought today that Israel had been blessed this way, Jerusalem doesn't dwell in complete safety, right? They are not um, executing judgment on righteousness in the earth. And so it's talking about a person. And so tonight I really want you to think about this because there is only one who could make a way for us to be saved. And that was Jesus, right? The offerings, the grain offerings and sacrificing continually. We know that the high priest was only able to go into the Holy of Holies how often? Once a year. So you cannot continually do something once a year, right? But yet we know here that Jesus fulfills this, the Lord, our righteousness. Now, it's a word that you never hear at church anymore, but it's imputed righteousness. 
Imputed righteousness. Anybody know what imputed righteousness means? It's not, it's not deserved. It's poured on you. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. I so, side note, though, that is one of the banners of standing up in church. It is. The Lord's sitting in you. Yeah. If you've ever looked around here, all of these banners were made by people that went here, right? And it's all that way, right? Uh, the resurrection and the life. The Lord is here. Um, uh, the way. All of those in, in the sanctuary, we have them on the side. And right uh, over here, the Lord is healer. And I, I can't remember what that one says. It's got chairs in front of it. But, uh, but it's that significance. Over a front row on the very far right? Okay, yeah. And so it's, it's there for a reason. And so tonight I want you to know that there are many people who read the Bible and love the promises of God, right? I love the fact that I could be forgiven. I love the fact that heaven is going to be my home. I could even love the fact that God is with me. But what really makes our faith different is the person of Jesus Christ, right? It is Him and Him alone who saves us. He is the one who on the cross took, on the cross took my sin and shame and gave to me perfection and righteousness. And so we're going to finish right here and we're going to run to the end, okay? So we've looked at the promise. We've looked at the presence. We've looked at the person. I know I'm doing the whole P thing tonight. It's, it's easy. So, um, and the permanence, right? If something is special, it's long lasting. And look what it says here in verse 19. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that there will not be day and night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister to me. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Have you not considered what these people have spoken, saying, The two families which the Lord has chosen, He has also cast them off. Thus they have despised my people, as if they should no more be a nation before them. Thus says the Lord, If my covenant is not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David my servant, so that I will not take any of his descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will cause their captives to return and will have mercy on them. So what is happening here is there were people in the nation of Israel who were saying that Yahweh, God, had rejected these two families. The, the children of Israel. These families were not the royalty or priestly families, but they're talking about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They were trying to convince people that God had broke His promises. Um, you've probably seen a movie from time to time, uh, and maybe you haven't seen it, um, but it was um, uh, Mel Gibson, and uh, it was uh, set in the Revolutionary War. Um, Anybody know what movie that was? Uh, yes. And um, there is a scene at the end, right, that the armies are retreating and Mel Gibson grabs something. 
You remember what he grabbed in that movie? Yes, and he did what? Ran toward it, right? And he stands up there on the... I guess it was probably an abandoned porch of a house or something. I'm not sure exactly what it was. And he does what? Tells him to retreat, doesn't he? Just keep going. No, right? He, he waves this flag and he's trying to inspire them. And all these, these um, militia men are running the other way. They all start looking. And if you're watching that movie like I am, I'm like, no one likes the British, right? But <laughs> some British person's watching that now. And just, but anyway, and so they all turn and they go back, right? And uh, see, this idea is these people had given up, right? They're saying God's abandoned us. God's, that's going to come back to bite me. But anyway, um, God, God's going to call me to go on a mission trip to Great Britain. And that's going to be what's playing before I get there, thanks to Yahoo News. But anyway, uh, that's this idea that the people had said God has abandoned us. God has failed us. God has left us. God's not with us. God has just chosen to abandon us. And he, God says... Day and night, all these things, stars in the sky, I have been faithful. And so tonight I want you to know that God's promises are important. God's presence is important. God's person of Jesus Christ is important. But the fact that His covenant is permanent is what should matter to us. That is why I believe that it is a terrible thing to teach that people can lose the salvation that God gives them. Right? I believe that the security of the believer has been used by people the wrong way. Right, They said a prayer at seven years old in vacation Bible school. They've lived like the world their whole life. God's kept them. They probably were never saved in the first place. Okay, That's not what we're talking about. But if God truly saves you and the Spirit of God comes to live within you, God keeps you saved. It is a permanent thing. Right, We looked how the Holy Spirit is poured out forever. But the promises and the covenant that God made with Israel, the Jewish people, what He makes with us, the spiritually adopted people, is a permanent covenant. And this is important because if God chose not to be faithful, we would be hopeless, right? If God was not faithful and our salvation depended on us, you would lose it the moment that you had it. Right? There's nothing you and I could do to earn the love of God originally or continually. You were saved by grace. Right? And so God chose the people of Israel that He worked through. God has worked in our lives. And so we have to be reminded that God's promises, God's presence, God's person is permanent. And so you need to take that to the heathens that you're going to be around this week and remind them of those four things because I know that you've never struggled, you've never had those doubts, fears, and discouragements, but those four things I hope will be an encouragement to you wherever you're at on your spiritual journey.